that love him and are called according to his purpose. So what's God going to do with COVID-19? What's God going to do with all this? He's going to do something. And, and maybe what God is going to do is help Christians who have taken community for granted to love it, to rejoice in it, to, to value it. Maybe that's one of the things. I could think of a lot of things God is going to do with us. But the scripture tells me that God can do more than I could ever think, that I could ever ask, or I could ever imagine. So, this is great. This is taking me back. I used to lead youth camps like 20 years ago. And, and anybody that was there at those youth camps, remember, we would gather in tents, pouring rain, and it was hot. And your deodorant doesn't work. Like, so I'm just going to get it out there. Like, I got the big pits already. So you don't have to be embarrassed. My family's going to be telling me all day, why, you know, what you do with the deodorant? I don't know. I'm, like, sweating already. I'm preaching in shorts, which for some people is like a no-no. A pastor should ever be in shorts. Will you come up here and preach in 95-degree weather? so glad to be together, and as I was thinking about, when I, when I started talking about COVID, I used the language of, of cocoons, that God was cocooning us, and I said that we would one day emerge from the cocoons that COVID had created. We're emerging today, and hopefully we're going to be able to remain for a while. But what's, what passage of Scripture could I preach that would help us celebrate the fact that this is a new day for us? So I was searching for a psalm that would help us to celebrate the community gathered. And the best one I could find, and then certainly there's, there's many we could preach, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. And what I want to ask, I want to set my stopwatch here because I haven't preached to live people, and this could go really long without some kind of boundary. What happens in a heart that has been completely transformed by grace. What should that look like? What if, what would it look like, church, what would it look like for us as individuals if the transforming power of God's grace held sway, that means like overruled, Everything else that was going on in our lives. What if it overruled our personal inhibition? What if God's transforming grace overruled, held sway over cultural prohibition? What if God's grace held sway over all of our sinful limitations? What would that look like? And Psalm 30, penned by David, is a picture, I believe, of what it would look like if God's grace, if God's transforming grace 
really had its intended effect in each of our lives. So let's read Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, death. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks. I will give thanks to you forever. Lord, please help us to to consider what a transformed heart looks like. What is the result of of a life that has been transformed by grace? Help us to consider what it would look like if if we weren't limited by our own sin, if we weren't prohibited by culture, if we didn't live with any limitations governing our hearts, if we just were able to experience what you want us to experience. Lord, I pray that you would give us a taste of that. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. What would it look like, church? This is a psalm that describes for us what it would look like. But what's a phrase that we could use that would describe what it would look like if transforming grace ruled our hearts? Uncontainable joy. Joy that you couldn't contain even if you tried. Hearts that are bursting with gladness in God and just want to tell God how thankful they are for all that He's done for them. Don't you want that at times, church? Don't you? You're quiet today, and I knew this was going to happen. Psalm 30 should make us not quiet Christians. David was not a quiet Christian. In fact, David talks about something that would make most churches uncomfortable, and he says it over and over again. He would expect, if he walked into a tent, a tabernacle, a church gathering, he would expect that something would happen in hearts 
that have been transformed by grace that rarely ever happens at Brandywine Grace Church. He would expect something to happen in church that rarely ever happens in church. And he is the psalmist who talks about it over and over. He makes us, if we're honest, uncomfortable because he talks about and he writes about expressions of joy that include dancing, where in most churches, that is considered a no-no. That's too emotional. David was accused of too much emotion. Do you know that? When they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the to, to its rightful place, someone was extremely critical of his dancing behavior. Said, you're, you look like a fool out there. You're making a fool of yourself. Do you know that someone was? It was his wife. David says in Psalm 30, you have turned for me my mourning into what, church? Into what, church? He's turned his, his mourning into dancing. He is so overwhelmed at God's transforming grace in his life that he can't not move. He's the guy that if you told him, stand still in church, David, he would start. He would not. He'd be the ADHD guy that can't stay still. Because when he thinks about what God has done, he doesn't care about what you think about. He's so overwhelmed. He wrote in 2 Samuel, David danced before the Lord with all his might. So just in case you wondered what the dancing looked like, it was with all his might. With all of his strength, he danced. Psalm 149, David says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music. So David wasn't just a man after God's own heart. He was a king who evidently loved to get on the dance floor. When Goliath was killed, the scripture tells us that there was singing and dancing in the streets. Why? Because their enemies have been destroyed. Church, have your enemies been vanquished? Your greatest enemy is what would have kept you separated from God forever. And that enemy, through the work of Christ, has been vanquished, defeated. A greater enemy than Goliath. He would have, we all would have went to the place hell reserved for those who rebelled against God. That's all of us. But God in His kindness saved us through the blood and work of Jesus Christ. And that should result in uncontainable glory. But you don't understand me. You don't feel me. You don't get this. Not the way David did. David wrote this song. Listen to this. In 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 some in, in the in the opening section of Psalm 30, it says, 
a psalm of David, a psalm at the dedication of the temple. So this was a song written for the dedication of the temple. But here's what's crazy. David wasn't around for the dedication of the temple. David didn't build God a temple. He wanted to, and God told him no, because you got blood on your hands. But your son is going to build me a temple. So David, thinking about what it was going to be like to worship in the completed temple, the house of the Lord, actually wrote a song and then said to, to Joshua, or to Solomon, here, hold on to that. You know I like to write songs. You know you've been singing a lot of songs. We're not going to sing. I'm not going to sing this one. I'm not going to get to sing it with you. But when that temple is completed, I want you to get this one out. This is Psalm 30. This one's going to get them on the camera. This one's going to get them hyped. This is the song. A song of transforming grace. He wrote this because he wanted the people to to sing. Now, lest I go too far with my metaphor, it's not it's not that it's all about dancing. What David's after is an accurate response of the heart. Like that's what he wants. For some of us, sometimes you don't feel like dancing, but that doesn't mean that grace isn't doing anything in your life. Sometimes transforming grace sits you in your seat and you're weak. Sometimes transforming grace is something that happens when you gather in community and you are talking and having fellowship together. Sometimes transforming grace is a quiet moment with the Lord. Sometimes transforming grace is when you're dumbstruck, like I can't say or move when I think about what God has done for me. That's what David's after. Dancing is an expression of that. It's a vivid expression of that. But he wants people who are so aware of God's grace that their joy can't be contained. Is your joy contained right now? Is your joy manageable? Is your joy hindered by your own sinful limitations? Is it hindered by cultural prohibition? Is it hindered by personal inhibition? David wrote this song to help us. Now, let's think about this for a second, church. What is it that that gets us on the dance floor? And I'm not talking spiritually or metaphorically. Let's just think about it. What is it that gets people on the dance floor? Now, if you want to get on the dance floor, you have to have music. Right? So music gets people on the dance floor. It's rare to see people getting all hype on a dance floor without any music playing. The music gets us on a dance floor. So I started, I did a little survey of the best songs to get you on the dance floor. You know what they are. You guys could start naming them. I got a feeling. Black Eyed Peas. You don't know it? Sweet Caroline, Neil Dunn. I, I understand it, but if you go to a football game, a high school football game, they are getting hype on Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Usher. 
You know it. You couldn't help. If I played it right now, Rich, if I played it, you guys would start moving. I read you Psalm 30 and you're just sitting there. Love Shack. P52, that'll get you on the dance floor. 1999, Prince. That gets people on the dance floor. How about this one, though? Celebrate. Cool in the gang. That, that's, that's the one you use to get people on the dance floor. I remember once I was talking to uh, my friend Gabe, who's a DJ, and I was talking to him about the challenge of every DJ. You know what the challenge of every DJ is? Is to get people on the dance floor. You can see it. Like, you started a wedding. You start the wedding and you start the dancing, and nobody got it. Nobody got it. And, and, and Gabe was DJing a party, and, and, I was, and it was like all these young people. I think it was like high school graduates. And I was like, nobody's out there. And he said, just wait a minute. you got to play the right songs, and then you got to get the girls on the dance floor. If you get the girls on the dance floor, you get everybody on the dance floor. You just gotta, you gotta pace this thing out. But as soon as you see the girls, you're gonna see everybody. What else gets on the dance floor? Alcohol gets you on the dance floor. Parties will get you on the dance floor. So community might get you on the dance floor. Some people like actually are different than that though. You get on the dance floor when nobody else is watching. You dance like nobody's watching. Those are the things that move us onto the to the to the physical dance floor. The challenge of the DJ is the challenge of this song. The challenge of this song is the challenge of every DJ. It's how do I get you from where you are onto the dance floor of God's church? You got to play the right song. Psalm 30 is the right song. What gets us spiritually, what gets your spiritual backs up off of the wall? What does that? Church, it's tramped forming grace. It's the grace of your salvation. Our God, church, is a God of transforming grace. He's a God of saving promise. He removes from us what we deserve and gives to us what we could never have earned. He's a God of cataclysmic transformation, which is why we love to sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That say, I once was blind, but now, what? Talk about transformation? I was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's a, that's a song that's getting at God has totally transformed my position. And all I want to do is praise Him and sing to Him. God is a God of monumental metamorphosis. 
the metamorphosis that we have gone through. The scripture says that we were dead, church, in our transgressions, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us, what church? Alive in Christ Jesus. Can I get somebody to say yes? Amen. I was dead in my transgressions, but now I'm alive. That's monumental transformation. You don't get much better metamorphosis than that. What can you do with something that is dead? Shake it. Play a play a play the best dance floor song you got. Come on, get up, do something. Get the what the, the things. <clears throat> what can you do with someone that is dead? Nothing. Unless you're God. Then you take what's dead and according to your mercy, bring it to life. Is there any transformation that's better than that? Is there any scientific explanation of metamorphosis or example of metamorphosis that's better than that? And I'm saying transformation because it's all through this psalm. Look at this. This psalm is about transformation. Right at the right in the top of that psalm, somewhere, transforming grace. Look at it. It's right here. I'm not making this up. He says, you're weeping is going to turn to what, church? Weeping lasts for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. So that's a transformation. I went from crying to joy. That's a major transformation. Show me another one, Kenny. All right? You have turned my mourning into what, church? Dancing. That's major transformation. I went from crying to dancing. You have brought me up from the pit to a restoration, to a restored life. You know what the pit represents? Sheol is the pit of death. So God has brought people from death to life. That's massive transformation. He says he went from a sackcloth to being clothed in flowers of gladness. That's transformation. He went from empty silence to a mouth that was filled with praise. He's talking about transformation. Now, some preachers use this illustration all the time, and I'll use it once again. When you think transformation, when you think metamorphosis, what is the best illustration that you can come up with for drastic transformation? It's a butterfly. Everybody knows that. The caterpillar. Now, let's just think about this, guys. I want you to think about that. You are, apart from God's grace, now this is my analogy going to break down a little bit, but follow with me. We are like caterpillars apart from God's grace. Okay, we give you a little, and we, all we can do is look the way we look, which is like a fat little worm, and we crawl around all day, basically in the same place, because I don't know if you've ever tasted a caterpillar, but they can't move very fast, so they don't move very fast, and they can't 
get very far. So their experience is a very confined experience. And and they're just these little wrinkled, you know what they are to describe. But one day, guys, think about this. One day, they are overwhelmed with a desire to go to sleep. Overwhelmed with a desire to take a nap, to build a little cocoon, and to crawl into it. Now, I just want you to imagine. I want you to imagine this. You are the caterpillar. You're crawling around. You're overwhelmed with this desire to take a long nap. You crawl into your little cocoon, and then you wake up. And when you wake up, you feel something different. You know what you were the last time you looked in the mirror, but you have emerged from the cocoon a very different creature. Like You used to crawl around eating nothing but leaves. Now you can fly and you eat nectar, which is better than leaves. It's got to be, right? Sounds better. A total transformation. The scripture says that for those that are in Christ, for those that are in Christ, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Amen. That's a picture of transforming grace. What David wants for himself, what he wants for us, what what God wants for us is transformed as the grace has transformed us in such a way that we live aware that we can fly. That we live aware of such an incredible joy. David's desire is not to simply live a life of self-absorbed preservation or self-instinctual protection. David's desire is that he, his deep desire, is that he would live a life deeply rooted in the grace of God and that he would praise God who has done so much for him. That's what he wants. Do you want that, church? Don't you want that? Now, what he does here in this passage is verses 1 through 5 is all about a call to praise. It's all about he calls on himself first. He always starts with himself. Then he starts with others. So he tells himself, you get up and praise God. And then he says, you get up and praise God. And then he ends the psalm saying the same thing. It's praise to God. But in the middle, something interesting happens. Did you see it? It's actually... A slightly confusing. 
you guys hot? Not as hot as me. I gotta do this. I've, I've, I've been waiting to do this. Wait for all my sweater. Look at what he does right in the middle. As for me, so he's calling us to praise, he's calling everybody else to praise, and then he says, as for me, I said in my prosperity I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. All good things. You hid your face and I was dismayed. What's going on? What, what's happening? David is recognizing something that all of you recognize. That there are times in life where you're not living on the dance floor of God's grace. There are times in life where you're not overwhelmed with joy. Your joy is not containable. It feels quite contained. What is it that can cause those things? Well, what David is saying can cause those things. Now, there's a lot of things, a lot of things that we could apply. But what he's talking about is this arrogant self-awareness, self-focus, selfishness that leads to forgetting the blessings of the Lord so that the Lord actually removes His presence from us. Let me paraphrase what he's saying. He's saying, I've known your favor, God. I'm one of your favorites, remember? I'm a man after God's own heart. You've made my mountain immovable. And then he says, and in and and as I focused on myself and forgot that everything I have is is due to you, you withdrew your presence from me, and I fell hard. Do you know if you're together right now, if you are being held together at all right now, it's more about God and His kindness to you than it is about your self-sufficiency and your ability to do that. The Scripture says He's holding everything together by the word of His power. You are experiencing so much blessing in your life but we live unaware of it because we get distracted, we get self-focused, we get self-preserving, and we forget that we owe so much to God and His kindness towards us and His grace towards us. And what God does, and get this, this is an expression of His great love. It's an expression of His kindness. You know what He does? He removes the, the sense. He doesn't leave, but He removes that of your awareness of His closeness and His presence so that you do something. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to say, God, I miss you. I need you. Don't stay far away from me because I've fallen apart here. I was confident in myself and I was confident in, my, in everything that I had accomplished by my own hands. And now I see that I'm nothing apart from you. I need you. I'm desperate for you. God loves that prayer. And what does he do? He answers it with his presence. And then David is extolling and praising the Lord once again. Do you see it there? Now there's something else. So, so let me, let me, let me, before I move to something else, let me ask you, are you living with a, a sense 
that God seems far away from you. You're, you're, you're living not, you're just not aware of God's grace, and it's not producing this uncontainable joy that, that really what you would say is, I feel far away from you, Lord. There's got to be someone that relates to that. There's got to be someone that's relating to that right now or has felt that way in the past. Could it be that God is showing you in His kindness that there has been some forgetfulness of God? There's been some forgetfulness in your life. You've, you've forgotten what got you to where you are. You forgot that you were dead and now you're alive. You forgot that, that you deserve the pit, but that God has reached down and pulled you out. You've forgotten these things. And in His kindness, he's, you're experiencing the dismay of kind of falling apart, and He's urging you to cry out to Him that you might taste His grace once again. Do that. Do that right where you are. If you're experiencing that, God invites you to cry out to Him for His grace that He might show you whatever He wants to show you. He might want to show you how you've been acting independently of Him. He might want to show you that you've, you've forgotten Him. But I know that He wants you on the dance floor of His grace once again. And He's reminding you that all you have, that all that really matters, that all should ultimately hold sway over your life is His transforming grace. Amen? I invite you to do that. Now, I, this has really struck me. And it's verses 8 to 10. So he's experiencing having fallen apart, he fell to pieces. Because God withdrew his presence. And then he prayed. Look at his prayer there. I, I want to show you a pretty strange prayer. I'll, I'll, I'll bet that very few of you have prayed this prayer. To you, o Lord, I cry. You've done that. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. You've done that. This is what he prayed. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? He's praying, guys. He says, he's saying to the Lord, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? He's talking to the Lord. Will it tell of your faithfulness? Do you know what David is praying? This is not a, a passage of Scripture to do your eschatology from. End times theology. It's not. Do you know what he's praying, though? I'm going to paraphrase his prayer. God, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. Have you ever prayed that? God, you be merciful to me because you're going to miss me when I'm gone. It's our God. It's poetry. 
But what he's saying is, I am someone who you have changed, and I know it brings you joy when my heart is filled with laughter, when my heart is filled with joy. I know that makes you happy. So please, answer my prayer. Bring me close to you again, and then you'll hear what I know you love to hear, my voice singing your praise. So what do you take from that? What do you take from that? What I take from this is, is this application. When you find yourself feeling a lack of awareness of God's nearness and His presence, you should pray. What should you pray? Whatever God lays on your heart. You should pray whatever God, by His Spirit, instructs you to pray. You should pray whatever scripture you're reading. You should pray that out to God. Because God, what He's after, is your heart before Him. Not a mantra. A heart that's open before Him and says, God, I love you and I want to know your presence. I feel like I'm falling apart here. Would you help me? God loves to respond to those prayers. Church, you feeling me? Let me get the band for the turn. We're going to take communion together, and then we're going to sing Graves in the Gardens. So get that, you might not know that song as well, but get that on your, you, what you have on your phone. Pull that up, because this is a song, right, that speaks of transforming grace. Graves to Gardens. So we're going to sing that together after we take communion. Let's stand together and let me pray. One day, Jesus, we will give thanks to you with all of our might. We will be freed from personal inhibitions. We will be freed from cultural prohibitions. We will be freed from self-sinful limitations. We will be completely free. Lord, I pray that that coming day of uncontainable joy would greatly shape how we live this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.